Avalara proudly sponsors this podcast series about accountants by accountants and featuring some of the best thought leaders in the industry. Thank you to our sponsor, Avalara. Avalara's award-winning tax automation solutions help accounting practitioners and businesses of all sizes simplify sales tax compliance with real-time rates, automated returns filing, and more. Learn more at avalara.com. Hey everyone, this is Laura Lynn and you're listening to the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly Accounting Podcast. More accountants than ever are experimenting and shaping our profession in new and in interesting ways. On this show, I sit down with these rock stars to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, the struggles, and the strategies that they're taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. Accountants can earn free CPE credit from listening to this podcast. Just download the Earmark CPE app in the App Store or visit earmarkcpe.com. Welcome to another episode of the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly Accounting Podcast. I am your host, Lorlin Wilson. In today's episode, which I have not titled yet, but the working title I want to say is, I'm not like other accountants, I'm a cool accountant. But what we're talking about is how to stay relevant and current in our industry. And so today's guest we have is Annette Nellen. Now, Annette has so many letters after her name, like the entire alphabet, but she's a CPA, she's a JD, she's an MBA. Her current position is as a professor and director of San Jose State's University's graduate tax program, where she teaches a wide variety of tax classes. She's also active in tax sections of the AICPA, including being a former chair of the Tax Executive Committee. She's also involved in the ABA and has been in the California Lawyers Association. This was interesting to me. This I highlighted and pulled out. In 2021, she served on the AICPA NASBA CPA Evolution Education Advisory Group as co-chair of the Tax Compliance and Planning Model Curriculum Tax Force. I want to find out a little more about that once you tell us a little more. But it's great to have you. So can you tell us kind of overall where you started and how you got here? All right. Well, well, thank you for, for having me here. Uh, so I have been at San Jose State University teaching full-time in uh, tax courses. I teach in the College of Business, mm-hmm. and I currently direct the graduate tax program. I actually was in practice 10 years uh, prior to that, including in Fortune 500 company, actually working as a junior accountant, run out of college, five years at the IRS, including I taught for them for uh, oh, wow. a year, but I was a revenue agent out auditing small businesses, individuals. And then I was uh, three years at a, a big four firm. And along the way, I did a fair amount of teaching and that's eventually what I uh, got myself into and along the way picked up, as you noted, a, a, a few a few degrees um, <laughs> when I was working at the IRS. Uh, I was uh, going to law school at night oh, work, wow. working on that. So um, all, all very helpful things that have been very helpful to my career and uh, appreciation of um, – challenges students face and, you know, just getting everything done yeah. and, and, uh, working, you know, for example, school, uh, at least private university was expensive a long time ago. And I know it's even mm-hmm. more expensive now. And that's obviously always a challenge for, uh, students to accommodate all that. Yeah. When you, when you first, you know, went in, picked your major and stuff, did you have kind of a clear vision of what you wanted to do or was it kind of more meandering? Uh, probably more <laughs> meandering, which, which which is good. You know, you think about, mm-hmm. um, you know, you ask a, a young kid, what do you want to do when they grow up? They usually say something that they've seen, you know, a teacher, yep. a fireman, a police officer or something. But then, you know, at the university at San Jose State, we've got over 130 majors. How would anybody have a clue as to all <laughs> of that? So you really, um, you know, to think somebody knew they wanted to be, you know, some specialization in the College of Business or something, they, they really wouldn't. No. And then you know, I think people should also be careful about looking at some of these career guides. I think for accountants, they still <laughs> say today, just like they did 40, 50 years ago, hey, if you're good at math, become an accountant. <laughs> it is far more than that. I mean, you have to have incredible critical thinking skills, great communication skills, a yes. willingness to just keep on learning, which is also, you know, it ties me to this topic here of, you know, staying relevant and current yeah. and stepping out of your comfort zone to do that. 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, accountants, they got to do so many things. It's far more than just math. And, you know, there are even more sophisticated machines today than there were 40 or 50 years ago to do a lot of that <laughs> right. math. It's like, yeah, whenever I tell someone I'm an accountant, they're like, oh, you must be good at math. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. We have Excel for that. I said, what I can do is understand numbers in their context. I can look at a number and know, does that number make sense based on what do I what I understand in the bigger story? And I think probably my biggest shock when I finally learned how to do accounting was just like how much gray there is. Like, you know, you think you're going in, it's going to be a lot of black and white and it's way more nebulous, which is, I think, a good, especially if you lean more on the creative side, like you can, you can really tap into that part of your brain and be very successful in this industry. Right. And, and certainly also helping uh, business clients with you know, understanding their business and how to grow their yes. business. And, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of the, you know, you mentioned the gray, a lot of it's coming about through transactions that maybe didn't exist when the guidance was, oh, as yes. the tax guidance was written. <laughs> yes, we'll touch on that later. Touch on crypto later. <laughs> okay. So uh, tell me very briefly, so I want to go back into serving on the AICPA, NASBA, CPA Evolution Education Advisory Group. So what did that entail doing? Well, we talk about things continue to evolve. I mean, the CPA mm-hmm. exam has changed a lot over the decades. And one change that's coming up in 2024 is a really significant one where people taking the exam will take a core exam and then mm-hmm. they select one of three disciplines, uh, accounting, tax, or uh, technology. And they want to make sure that you know we're reflecting that the profession has changed a bit. Technology uh, plays a bigger role than it, than it did decades ago. And to get this fully rolled out, obviously universities asked the question, well, what might be different that we should consider in our curriculum? Mm-hmm. So um, I was involved through my work with the um, uh, AICPA asked to get involved in helping to draft the learning objectives to consider for, uh, you know, addressing them. Not that yeah. we've, we've never said that university should teach to the exam. That's not the, the point, but just mm-hmm. to be a better familiar with what should be tested on that tax discipline. So I was serving and it was a small group of practitioners and academics coming together. But we started actually with the existing CPA exam blueprints, which if no one's looked at that in a while, because maybe you took the exam a while ago or you're a <laughs> yeah. student, you should take a look at it. There was so much already on the exam, but this yeah. is going to, you know, this change will tailor, you know, a, a little greater focus on tax, including from planning mm-hmm. aspects of, oh, of taxation. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, so when I took the CPA exam, it was four or five years ago now, and it was the four parts. And the first part I took um, was the ta- the reg because I had already been practicing in tax for several years because I'm like, okay, this one I can knock out of the park. <laughs> and I did. But even so, like, I mean, I remember studying for stuff. Like, I was like, there is, I'm never going to ever need to know this ever. <laughs> So, I mean, I know that's a frustration that people talk about, and it sounds like you guys are addressing it, is creating an exam that fits the industry today and not one that fits one that was around 40 or 50 years ago. Right. And there's always been changes going on. I think prior to this change coming up 2024, a notable change was to say, you know, we have to be higher in what's called Bloom's taxonomy, less memorization type questions and mm. more application mm-hmm. and, um, you know, under- showing you really understand something and can use yeah. that that knowledge. That's very important because, you know, certainly CPAs for a long time haven't just been sitting around adding up numbers. They <laughs> have a lot of things to you know, really understand so far as, you know, just business practices. Um, yes. And, and the and more you know, multi-jurisdictional activity going on that uh, obviously raises tax and other uh, mm-hmm. challenges as well. I'm going to like have maybe a little bit of a hot take here, but I feel traditionally or historically accountants or at least firm owners haven't needed to be that savvy at business because the margins are in our industry are so good. So I think because of that, it does not always translate well into them being an advisor for another business. What are your thoughts on that, <laughs> on that well, very hot take? <laughs> um, well, I, I certainly encourage um, our students to be that trusted 
business advisor yeah. and mm-hmm. knowledgeable in tax because they really understand even how the tax application works. They need to make sure they fully understand all the details of the transaction so far as mm-hmm. who all was involved. Are they related anyway? Yeah. Um, where did this transaction take place? When did it take place? What exactly did uh, occur there? Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the better business acumen they have, the far better they're going to do. And something that's you know, really been continually emerging in the last probably 10 years is called data analytics. You even see master's mm-hmm. programs for you know accounting and data analytics. But the data analytics is just really recognizing that we have so much digital data out there that yep. you can do things with it. Uh, yes. you know, when the internet started, we were web 1.0, where you basically just <laughs> took data and just put it there, right? It's just, yeah. you know, like, oh, I'm not reading a piece of paper. I'm reading it on the web. Web 2.0, well, no, you can do all this interaction with it. So that's really what I think data analytics derive from. And then, well, what can we do with this data, either so far as better understanding our business operations, maybe streamlining some of the things that we've been doing or processes we were doing maybe by hand could mm-hmm. be streamlined in some way. But you really need to have an understanding of the business to understand where is the data or where should there be some data? And then what can we do with this to really help the uh, owners and operators better understand that, uh, where we can maybe you know, improve our tax compliance and planning by getting some of that data. So yeah, I, I think practitioners, so they do have to have a strong uh, business uh, understanding. And today that's not just the business practice, but a lot of times mm-hmm. understanding technology that's being used. Yes. Avalara helps businesses of all sizes get indirect tax compliance right. Their sales tax solutions help you manage sales and use tax complexities while lessening risk for your business and clients. Whether you're a small business or a global enterprise, Avalara can help you deliver tax compliance services confidently and efficiently. Over 30,000 organizations across the globe use Avalara's cloud-based compliance solutions to solve transaction tax compliance needs, including sales and use, VAT, and other direct and indirect taxes. Okay, so in um, one of your presentations, you touch on how we're in the fourth industrial revolution, and I feel like this is probably very relevant to all this. So can you tell the audience what that means? Um, well, the fourth industrial revolution, you know, saying we got a first, second, third, and fourth, but the fourth one is really described as just the very rapid pace of changes in technology. And that's been, you know, actually, I think just going on, but really has hit quite a rapid pace. I mean, thinking about even in the um, cryptocurrency, so far as decentralized finance type transactions and the evolution, you know, whatever was happening yesterday, something different. And maybe a major difference happening today, and it's just very rapid pace on that. Mm-hmm. And how to keep up with that? It's also caused some type of work t- to be done by you know, you know artificial intelligence or mm-hmm. um, r- robotics process automation, other technologies. And we need to have a different skill set. You know, more understanding of technology, stronger critical thinking. Uh, stronger communication skills. We can get all the information effective that we need and communicate that to whoever it needs to be done. But it's really just fourth industrial, this very rapid pace of how technology continues to evolve. Uh, you also hear the term, you know, disruptive technologies. You know, something is being done different. I mean, they like in financial planning, there are you know, artificial intelligence programs that can just gather all this data and say, well, this is where you should, this is the mix that you should have in your portfolio and, and adjust it on a very rapid basis. So far as, uh, you know, think about these platform companies where they're using technology to be able to match, somebody's got services to provide and somebody can provide those and to match mm-hmm. them and yep. <laughs> process the payments, process everything. And while, you know, today those are primarily run by, you know, there's a third party involved there, right? The platform owner, the technology does exist that those could be actually run in a decentralized environment, just like most virtual currencies are run in a decentralized environment through the uh, through the blockchain. That's major change when you think about that so many things could run in a decentralized environment um, and also the use of uh, smart contracts where, hey, you know, if this happens, this will automatically occur. 
Mm -hmm. uh, different ways that people will be uh, investing in assets, you know, various kinds of tokens being used. There's just a lot going on. And even I mentioned like the blockchain, this really even is something that needs to be added. Any programs probably have done this. Like if, if you're helping your accounting students learn about how do they do auditing, well, what do they, how do they audit when certain records are being kept on the blockchain, which already has, uh, you know, it's, an, it's immutable, you know, things are, can't be changed later on, but how do you know that it's working the way it does? I mean, it's just audit practices will have to evolve to be able to address, okay, companies keeping some records on the blockchain. How do we, how do we go about uh, verifying that? And when should we be doing it? When they're setting it up, when it's operating? So yeah. that, that's just one reason why, you know, we just really need to be making sure we're doing what we can to stay current, staying relevant. Because also, as these technologies evolve, well, there's all kinds of new businesses coming about. And those new yeah. businesses need tax and accounting advisors, right? They need, they need CPAs and attorneys to help them. How are you going to find these, these folks yes. if you're not out there wherever they are? And we'll, we'll, yes. I know we'll talk about that as well. Yeah. Do you feel like our industry does not lend ourselves to that model very well? You know, that's a good question. Um, I, I think certainly if you've got a, oh, I got, I have so many clients already, I can't even keep up with it. Mm-hmm. That can be good and bad yeah. <laughs> because, you know, it, it could be that, you know, whatever your clients might be doing, maybe their businesses are getting acquired by somebody with the more advanced technology that wants your client, that client's client base. But are you going to be able to really help this acquirer if they're using technology that you don't even, I mean, you can't even have a conversation with them because they're thinking, you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, So, I mean, that's one reason to to watch out for that. I think if you need to be hiring folks, you know, people out of college might be, you know, very interested in, you know, I want to learn more about how the blockchain works and decentralized finance and all that. And you're like, well, we, we aren't involved in any of that. Or, you know, there's also the risk that you know, you've got clients that, and I can remember uh, probably back in 2012, even asking groups of practitioners that I'd be doing presentations to you, how many of you have a client that has virtual currency? And maybe like one hand would go up yeah. and I would say, no, you probably all have at least one client with virtual currency, but if they don't know anything about virtual currency, they're not asking, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so unless the client volunteers that, so, you know, there's just really is a need to be keeping up. And yeah, I, I guess in any profession, we can get kind of complacent. And that's why, you know, I want to make sure my students aren't doing that. I want to make sure they're well prepared for not just understanding all the tax technical rules and the policy behind it, but that they can really see how all of that can fit into a very rewarding career that they shape and mm-hmm. continues to evolve because I can't tell them today what kind of technology they're going to be using 10 years from now, but they need yeah. to be able to have that as part of their lifelong learning process that lifelong learning means, yeah, you're going to need to get out of your comfort zone and go experience and learn about uh, these other things because at the rapid pace, things continue to change, especially technology and business practice wise. Mm-hmm. You just have to find some efficient way for keeping up or you're going to find that you know, your client base shrinks, your available pool of people you want to hire might be smaller than otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you, your clients are going to evolve into uh, these new spaces where there's new opportunities and old ones have, have gone away. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I think what the industry in general is feeling right now, kind of the pressure, the stress is you have both the technological side, you know, going out of control, moving at the speed of light. And then we have the technical side doing that as well. Like tax law has been changing nonstop. Like I remember, especially during the beginning of the pandemic, I had a newsletter going out every single day to my clients, trying to keep them apprised of all the changes to the like EIDL and the PPP and then the ERC. Like, how like do you think that because of that, like th- that's really number one causing a lot of stress into driving people into earlier retirement who would <laughs> traditionally stay in the industry longer? Um, it, it is a. Certainly frustrating uh, when you see, you know, very rapid changes in the tax law, particularly when they're effective, like right away. In fact, it was 
you mentioned the or em- retroactively. Employee- <laughs> yeah, I mean the employee retention credit. Well, that was in the CARES Act enacted. I think it was March twenty seventh, but. The employee retention credit started March or after March 12th, right? So yes. I mean, Congress put something in place that, and then the IRS is left to you know have to interpret that, and they were just you know inundated. Plus, you know, the IRS they were you know taking the same workplace protocols as everybody else. They weren't like, oh, we're all still in the office doing our normal stuff. So I mean, they yeah. had the also the the challenges there. But then trying to offer their best interpretation of things that just weren't always clear cut because, you know, Congress was also racing to get that done. But yeah, that does mm-hmm. add challenges. And of course, like you mentioned employee retention credit. Yeah, a, a lot of practitioners and businesses hopefully are going back to check with their clients. Hey, now that things maybe have settled down, let's take a look. Maybe you were actually were entitled to it. They also mm-hmm. might find that some people claimed that, that they learned with later <laughs> guidance were not entitled to that uh, <laughs> that that credit. But it, that totally yeah. does put a lot of um, – a, a lot of pressure on when there's so many changes and they're just not that clear cut and require, like you mentioned, employee retention credit. So many things to have to identify and measure to see if they're even qualified for it and then actually get, okay, and what numbers go in here. And then, you know, when they add new laws, they're just piled on top of existing laws. I always have to remind my, my students of this mm-hmm. and even practitioners, like say, you know, when, when we're talking about like new developments, a lot of presentations on updates in the law, remember it's, just piled on top of something else. You have to see how does it interact because like the employee retention credit, when they renewed it and modified it at least two times later, they also changed how it interacted with other credits. In fact, what they even did was uh, for the first six months of 2021, it's going to, I could say this wrong, maybe it's backwards, but uh, it was apply the employee retention credit first. And if the wages were used there, then they're not available to the research credit and various other credits. And then mm-hmm. for the last six months of the year, which then Congress changed to only the third quarter of 2021, um, <laughs> you would instead calculate the other credits first and then use that. Well, how do you explain that to the client without yeah. the client thinking, oh, no, you're making that up. That's just crazy. <laughs> no, yeah. that's actually what Congress wrote. And, you know, so you got used to having to do how one credit interacts with another one. And then the next, you know, third quarter of 2021, it's a different uh, calculation there. So, you know, you're setting up different spreadsheets, asking different questions, but, yep. and that's just one example. I mean, there's just yeah. lots of uh, law changes and a lot of them are fairly complicated. They might involve records that you wouldn't normally uh, be, be keeping. It's Would you say- no, not a challenge. <laughs> Yeah, well, would you say, like, especially there's, like, on tax Twitter, there's a lot of solo practitioners. Like, how would you advise, how do we handle this? Because it's like, do we niche? Do we, because it's it's so much to keep up, up, up on on top of everything they're else they're doing. Like, what, do we just work 80 hours a week? What do we do? <laughs> what do no, we do that, with that? <laughs> that? That is a great question. Um, I know in, in talking to practitioners and doing updates, I'll say, you know, hey, this area here, like the employee retention credit, or when they, you know, Code Section 199 Cap A, the qualified business income deduction was added. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at those, like in the 199 Cap A deduction, there's over 100 pages of uh, regulations. You would have to, hopefully, even if you had like 10 people in your firm, one person's going to just have to be the expert on that because who would have the time to read all of those? And and it's not just reading the, the regs, but you better go into the committee report. I think it's tough to be a, a solo practitioner unless you are yeah. going to specialize. Oh, I'm going to specialize like in rental real estate. Don't mm-hmm. come asking me about employee retention credit or something. I'm just going <laughs> to yeah. specialize here that. because <laughs> it's, it's not unusual to see you know some very lengthy provisions added to the law and then even lengthier uh, regulations explaining that. With you know exceptions to exceptions, and sometimes exceptions to the exceptions to the exceptions, definitions, mm-hmm. uh, things not being complete, IRS being you know just overwhelmed with having to get guidance out, and the law. I mean, it, it's been complicated for a long time, a, a very long time ago. When I first came to uh, San Jose State, I went to the county law library. I was getting something, but I noticed on the on, on the shelves that they had some old journals there. Uh-huh. So I pull off a, a tax journal from, I think, like 1920. I said, what were they writing <laughs> about 1920? And one of the yeah. articles was, was about the growing complexity of the tax law that oh, it kept no. on getting changed. And of course, <laughs> compliance was a lot different, obviously, in 1920. But I thought, well, if they were writing about that in 1920 because uh, they were 
I mean, it's not unusual to see a lot of changes going on, but I think just the volume of the changes and the complexity of many of these provisions here is, yeah, so you, is tough. Yeah. Would you see them say then in the next 10 years, you see it just getting worse? Or do you think Congress will pull its head out of its, you know what, and maybe simplify things? What do you think is going to happen? What should we expect? Um, I, I know it sounds cynical. I don't think Congress really knows how to simplify, maybe don't want to simplify. Because, you know, one mm-hmm. way to simplify would be, well, why do we have all these special rules? Um, yeah, let's get rid of that, them. <laughs> well, well, some of them, maybe the tax law is a good way to to cover some things because exactly. you know, every more people pay taxes and vote. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a way you, you can I- interact with, with folks. It might be an easy way to get certain subsidies out to folks that you want to get. And for example, if Congress wants to continue to subsidize, you know, mortgage interest deduction or something, yeah, the yeah. tax law is going to be easier than writing all these people with a mortgage a check uh, every month. But they probably should look at many of these things to say, do we need it here? Is is it really even who and who is the target audience? And a lot of times when these special rules are put in place, it's doesn't go along with stating what is the goal. How will you measure that goal is met? And and I think that that should be done. Just like you know, if a company was going to say, "Hey, we're going to roll out this new product," they would not roll it out with saying without having some way to test someone's responsible for gathering the data to see is this really going to be helpful, do some you know customer satisfaction. Yet mm-hmm. you know things continue to get added to the tax law, and there just is, aren't questions of hey, is this doing what it's supposed to be doing? Like, you know, many years ago, we have the American Opportunity Tax Credit that does provide up to $10,000 um, of tax credits, you know, money in your pocket for four years of yeah. of college to most most families or, or uh, college students themselves. Is that achieving what we want it to achieve? I mean, data mm-hmm. out there would show, well, one thing did cause college tuition to go up, thinking, oh, so that's <laughs> going to get subsidized. That's just a natural uh, yep. reaction, just like, oh, there's a credit for buying a hybrid car. Guess what? The hybrid car costs a bit a yep. bit more. When some of those credits have gone away, they've expired, uh, sometimes the car prices come down. It's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but did it increase graduation rates? Did it provide mm-hmm. whatever parts yep. of missing workforce without them? And you continue to hear for the longest time, we don't have enough engineers out there. Well, is the American Opportunity Tax Credit helping to produce more engineers? We just, you know, it doesn't get measured. But yeah. once it gets into the tax law, it's there unless it has an expiration date. Whereas there, we also have Pell Grants, which have been around for a long time to help low-income students better afford college. But every year, the Department of Education has to ask for the money for the Pell Grants, where the American Opportunity Tax Credit is just there. So I mean, there's a whole other topic on tax policy, but yeah, we always should be there. Should be some regular review of many of these provisions, and of course, if many of them went away you could lower tax rates, right? Or, or, yeah. or do something else to provide better benefits. And some of those uh, benefits don't benefit everybody. I mean, I think about yes. 65% of workers have um, employer-provided health insurance, which is tax-free to the employee. But what about the other 35% of employees? Why are they subsidizing that for the other workers when you know healthcare and health insurance is otherwise so expensive. But those conversations just, you know, aren't, I don't see them taking place. I think it's just easier to keep on yeah. adding more provisions. And for the most part, the public has no idea what's all <laughs> know, it's just going on there. It's like somebody's jugular was cut open and th- they just keep putting band-aids on top of it, hoping that that will, if they put enough band-aids on top, <laughs> hopefully instead of going yeah. in and actually stitching it up. So, yeah. I mean, I, I guess the one positive is if you are a tech Tax, tax practitioner, like you have job security. Like, and I fully believe we're about to enter a recession. So that is like, okay. that's my one like shining hope during that. I'm like, well, worst case scenario, I just, you know, my, all my non-tax work falls off and I can just do more tax because I, we have tax <laughs> clients coming out our ears. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's just so much more to be done and say, even we talk about the CPA exam, uh, but this is also something, you know, CPAs, ASCPA has been pushing for some time of there's going to be growing, expanding need for people wanting more personal financial planning. So some mm-hmm. of that actually got added to the uh, CPA exam. But also oh, back to your great. question, you know, how does a solo practitioner yeah. keep up? I think they need to probably at least have a network of other solo practitioners and so they can mm-hmm. bounce, you know, some some questions off of because I mean, the tax law just gets more and more complicated. Yeah. Okay. Which then adds so- to the risk of, okay, did I tell my client everything? Did I <laughs> yes. catch her did I get everything <laughs> correct? It's tough. 
Yeah, no, it definitely it adds a lot of there's a lot of anxiety in our industry because of that. Because it's like, I think to accountants, maybe lean more on the side of being a perfectionist, like they want to do their work and they want to do it right. And they don't want to be sloppy about it. And when something does fall through the cracks, like I see people on tax Twitter really beat themselves up over it. And what I always try and say is like, we aren't ER surgeons, like no one died if something didn't get filed on time, or there was some interest in penalties. Like, yes, your job's important. And yes, it's important to take it seriously. But like, don't don't do it at the expense of your health and your well being, you know? Yeah. But then finding, you know, what other other solutions for helping with that, you know, maybe, yes. you know, I need to work with another practitioner yes. to help you know, <laughs> s- just spread the knowledge uh, workload that's out there. Yes. Did you know that 52% of accounting practitioners, large and small, still rely on spreadsheets and manual processes for sales tax compliance? Why not move your accounting practice to the 21st century using Avalara for accountants? The Avalara for Accountants automation platform helps accounting service providers of any size grow their service offerings with sales tax prep and filing, transfer pricing, research, business license management, and more. Scale your practice efficiently with award-winning automation that brings efficiency and accuracy to sales tax compliance. Want to learn more? Email accountants at avalara.com or visit avalara.com. Okay, so switching gears a little bit, we we kind of hit on the technical side. Let's go back to the technological side. So there was you referenced this in your PowerPoint, and you it, when you were talking about like keeping up on regulations around technological and security, and you said the 2021-2022 changes to the Graham Leach Billy Safeguards rule. What is that? What are those? Um, well, I, I just thought out, you know, as an example, because, you know, it's just so much to to keep up on. And you think, okay, am I keeping up on everything? And one I always like to ask folks is, well, think of just how much things change technologically so far as um, like, okay, you installed this new wonderful uh, firewall software and you know data security software is it still the good the best one today is it all kept up to date are there new problems out there that you're not uh, solving are your fellow practitioners doing it a different way I mean how do you keep up with that and I just you know note that um, there was a change in the Graham Leach Blatley log dates back a long time ago I can't remember now what year it was but um, there was just a, a change. Uh, I think it was late last year, starting this year of on the safeguards rule, which all tax practitioners do have to follow. And it's basically just having, you know, some security plan in place to protect, mm-hmm. you know, the data. Yeah. They've, tax practitioners got a lot of very sensitive data that they need to be protecting. So it's just a few things on updating that. But, you know, just an example of, you know, how do you know you're, you're keeping up to date on everything? So sometimes I just keep this growing list of, of questions to, uh, to, to be asking to see, Hey, you know, are you missing something, you know, um, or your client tells you they are like years ago, people were hearing this perhaps, Oh, I'm mining virtual currency. You, you probably, most people probably had no clue what they were talking about. Um, yeah. but I mean, that's just an example of things you're going to hear hey, your, your clients getting into and like, okay, how do you keep up with it? And of course you can also learn from your clients. Hopefully that if you did have the client mining virtual currency, ask them, and hopefully they were well aware of what they were actually doing. Sometimes the clients <laughs> aren't a bold, fully that's up, a bold up to assumption. speed. That's a yeah. bold assumption that they would know. No, because they may have gotten to something without having the full understanding of it uh, as well. But every once in a while, you're going to find the client like, oh, no, they're the expert in this. And I'm going to you know, learn all that they've, they're, they're learning about this uh, industry group that they've gotten themselves now into. Yeah, I would say at least on the tax side of it, uh, the they are the exception, not the rule, like coming in and fully understanding the consequences of their actions. <laughs> but okay, so this kind of uh, leads me to there was, so obviously there's rules around how us tax practitioners needs to guard client data, and there's tech that enables us to do that. There's this huge debate going on on tax Twitter talking about client portals and do clients like them, want them, need them, use them. Client portals being a place to exchange these sensitive documents. So what's that line in your opinion? Like, should the tech serve us more 
or should it serve the clients more when the end result's the same? Like either way, you're going to have security. So should you do it in a way that makes it easier on you as the firm or should you do it in a way that makes it easier on the client? And this applies to a lot more than just the client portal. Well, obviously you need to keep your client happy and well-served and to present them with some technology they're not going to use obviously doesn't serve the uh, purpose. So it's not just the technology, but it's, you know, what can you do to help the client understand the importance of that and Mm -hmm. help them to be able to use it? You know, is it walking them through it, Mm -hmm. you know, one-on-one? Is it creating a, a, a video for them? Is it finding a different comparable one that maybe is a little bit more user friendly, but certainly, you know, we always would want to be thinking about, okay, I, this is some great technology. I've just saw, you know, I'm at some conference and there's vendor conference going on and someone's talking about this great software. Certainly thinking about, you know, is this going to, you know, really serve my, my clients well, but I think a lot of it is going to be for security, particularly, you've just got to mm-hmm. get your clients to to be doing this. I do hear from practitioners saying, "Oh, yeah, my my client emailed me the sensitive document." You know, as a, <laughs> even though I got a secure portal, they could have uplifted, up, uploaded <laughs> it to. They're really stressing to the client. And um, when I come across examples of um, where something did go wrong, it's like, "Great, that's a great one to share with your clients, right?" Because then they'll see, yeah. "Yes, scare them some into things compliance. can go wrong, right?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I so I I mentioned this on the last podcast I did, but I read this book by this restaurant near who has all these like Michelin restaurants, and he talks about how he tries to go on the offense instead of the defense. So tying it into this, I see it as like you know you have a client portal or you're rolling out a client portal. It's like figure out all the ways that number one clients can mess this up and proactively solve for that. You know, I don't know how to log in. I can't find what I'm, you know, just boom, 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 boom. List out the 20, 30, 40 different ways that they're going to mess up your systems and process and proactively, proactively help them not do that. So you're not reacting on the defense, trying to solve, you know, in the minute and getting frustrated with all these emails, but you are, you've proactively already solved that, sending them the help article, you know, helping them do it how they need to. So I think that, yeah. Want yeah, to be it, proactive rather than reactive, and and yeah, if you get a, a test client or family member that you know is willing to you know be the test person, then you can see you know what kind of questions that people really, yes. really have. Yeah, I think we have like especially when we're in the tech all the time, and we like I can jump into almost any tech program and figure out pretty quickly how to navigate around it. But like I forget, not everyone can do that, especially the older generations who did not grow up twenty four seven in front of the computer like that. Okay, now don't don't insult the uh, older generation. <laughs> I, I often find sometimes that uh, I can do many things sometimes that my students <laughs> don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so it all depends on you know, what effort you've put in to stay. Yeah, it does. There. And I think we find you know some young people might just be tech dependent, not always tech savvy. I think that takes a mm-hmm. few more steps to really where they want to get into understanding it. They're watching, you know, a YouTube video. How do you really do this? Or you run across people, oh, I created my own NFT. Well, great, good for you, right? You actually learned and went in and and uh, did that, but that wouldn't be uh, everybody. So I think, certainly I think being tech dependent, having grown up where the internet was there the whole time, it's just what you're used to. Um, but I, th- I think you'll find across generations that there are a lot of tech savvy in, uh, in, in all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So we talked a lot about like this constant lead need for learning, adapting. And to do that, obviously we have to move out of our comfort zone. And again, accountants, very conservative, don't like change necessarily. How do we do that? Well, I think a, a willingness and I think understanding why we need to do that. And that's not really new. We've always go out of our comfort zone, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously CPAs went to college, going to college is getting out of your comfort zone, Um, Uh moving away from home perhaps, or getting your first, you know, real job. So we've obviously got lots of practice moving out of our comfort zone. But, you know, I I preface that with, you know, just that our environment today, I think just even more so um, than what I was dealing with in practice or even dealing with in teaching, you know, years ago when there wasn't as much technology, it's like, okay, I need to get a textbook and I put together lessons. I create a syllabus. I make copies of it on the copy machine. Well, obviously (laughs) it's all done uh, differently. Plus there's a lot of great technology for really aiding in the teaching and learning process. So uh, we, you know, really need to be staying 
relevant and, and growing. Uh, I think this is certainly important for practitioners so far as making sure you continue to have, you know, new clients coming in that might be in new industries you're not familiar with. Well, how do you get familiar uh, with, mm-hmm. with those? Um, so many things to do to help stay up to date. I think something you might need to leave your comfort zone, even thinking about, well, where would I go? I mean, if you're someone that like my professional career, often going to a conference, that was the way we networked with our fellow practitioners and, you know, got our continued education. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of that's moved uh, virtual. A lot of things that maybe we need to know aren't being covered at the traditional type of, of conference. Yeah. Uh, some of the things, you know, I would, I would uh, suggest folks do is, um, for example, uh, look at events at your nearby convention center. Because mm-hmm. I think learning from what kind of conventions, and maybe I think we're back to seeing actually conventions going on at these centers. And yeah. if you're the, some kind of a trade show or tech show, and you're like, gee, I don't even know what that is. Well, maybe you want to learn what it is. Maybe you want to go uh, to that conference. Yeah. Uh, on social media, maybe it's connecting with some group on LinkedIn just to learn you know, more about what they're, they're posting. And if you want to get more about virtual currency, there's various organizations, whether they are like uh, journalists or their industry associations or just individuals who are very active in that area, maybe following them and you can pick up a fair amount. I think mm-hmm. one, I, I really push young people and maybe all practitioners is go online and just look up meetups. How I got probably involved in uh, virtual currency is when I first heard about it, I was kind of intrigued by it. And then I'm out looking at some conference site for a conference we were putting on. Yeah. And I saw these uh, flyers. It was at a um, inc- an incubator, uh-huh. but they had a yeah. sign up there that there was the uh, the Bitcoin meetup met. Met oh, weekly. Wow. So I went to the beat up Bitcoin meetup. Oh, wow. But that's where I met people doing all kinds of stuff in the virtual currency space. Yeah. There were people starting businesses. There were people that, you know, really had a really good handle on what it was. This was like 2013 that yeah. I started uh, going. But that, that kind of activity, you know, this look for those, I think you'll find them interesting. Um, it's where you're going to just see, well, what are people doing? Uh been to a couple of blockchain conferences and just to see and talking to people as what kind of businesses they're forming, um, mm-hmm. quite just quite fascinating. But again, yeah. you know, not the common thing we're going to do is maybe you get out of your, your comfort zone to have to go look these up. Oh, I just wait for, you know, my local, <laughs> my state CPA society to tell me what conferences are going on. And then they probably are addressing some of these items, but mm-hmm. I, I'd say looking broadly because there's just more uh, kinds of activities going on. Um I think also making sure you're talking to folks that from all diff- all different generations, talking to people that haven't had your same experiences and yeah. don't maybe look look like you in, in uh, many ways. I think another way to kind of see what's going on, what kind of new college degrees are being offered out there, what oh, courses are new. Because I think you'd find a you know, growing number of classes on blockchain and uh, certainly, data analytics is a, is a big deal. What kind of new companies are in the news? You hear mm-hmm. some name of a company, you don't even know what they're doing, and uh, what what is that they're describing? You know, go go look into it. And I think you know when we then kind of get out of our uh, comfort zone, and maybe how how can you do this? Well, identify what you want that is outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Why should you leave, and why would you want to? go for this new goals. It's something that, gee, I think there's business opportunity there, or gee, I want to just, you know, sound more tech savvy and maybe make sure I'm asking my clients the right questions about like their virtual currency or their, Mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever kinds of activities they might be involved in in various technology. I think maybe identify, gee, I've maybe fallen into some routines that might be holding me back. I'm just keep on doing the same thing. Time to try (laughs) something new. (laughs) we We all do that, right? It's just, yeah easy. It's evolution. Um, like our body, that's what our brain wants. Our brain wants predictability yeah. and stability. Right. That's right. Yeah, go someplace you don't normally go, meet someone new, someone outside your usual circle of friends or colleagues. And, mm-hmm. and you know, certainly social media is a way you might find, oh, yeah, I keep on seeing this CPA pop up on LinkedIn and they're posting some interesting things. And do maybe I'll reach out to them. Uh, of course, if they're nearby, maybe you today, even meet them for, for coffee or something, or, you know, just connect with them on, on, uh, on LinkedIn, join a group. 
if yeah. that's something appropriate, read a book or article you would not normally read. Ooh, I think yeah. I think it's always good to go to a bookstore that has a magazine rack, and they are still out there. <laughs> there are ones that <laughs> magazine racks, and just scan the magazines to see. Mm-hmm. Well, there's some things I've just never heard of. Maybe they're relevant, and you know, if it's talking about some new product or practice, well, it's probably some business running it, and you yeah. know, they, they all need a CPA. So being being aware of that, and I think also you know. Being engaged in creative activities mm-hmm. is good because that, I think, helps us push outside our comfort zone. Gee, we want to learn how we can do this particular particular activity. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I, you know, oh, yeah, I had ahead, some you know, suggestions that I, I do a fair amount of uh, presentations and writing on, on virtual currency. Uh-huh. And, and always as people, they're like, I don't know anything about it at all. And others who are like, oh, no, I got clients. I'm off on some advanced topic or something. <laughs> but um, for something like that, there's many things you can do. I say, you know, see if there's some kind of a group or a meetup. And it might be in person, might be uh, online. Look for uh, books or websites that seem to be uh, reliable on that. On social media, you know, just go on LinkedIn and search on virtual currency, see you know, who comes up and what they're posting. Uh, I mean, there's someone who's regularly speaking at some major conference. They obviously might be uh, an expert on that. Find out how these things work. For example, when there's a virtual currency, a new one, or some kind of a token, almost always there's a white paper connected with it. Well, knowing Mm. that, you can go read the white paper to learn more uh, about that. A variety of podcasts out there um, on all kinds of, of topics, and that can be a great way, you know, test some of those out. I listen to them while I, I, I go run, and you know, some of them are, are terrific. If I'm listening to them, I was like, oh, okay, I'm done with that one. <laughs> um, see what kind of newsletters might might be out there that would give you some um, some help. Then in the Bitcoin and crypto space, there's all kinds of conferences that go on, mm-hmm. uh, like you know, consensus and. Uh, Bitcoin 2022, name others. There might be some courses. Um, I should, mm-hmm. In the process of taking a, one on oh, yeah. on, the, on edX was getting into the technical aspects of the Bitcoin um, and virtual currency, which is when you get into the cryptography and the, the details of the software and all that, that is fairly complicated. Um, I'm never going to be an expert on that. That's not my background, but at least I want to get a sense of some of the um, terminology and, and all that to help See that helps me better identify some tax answers or tax issues uh, as well. But I, I think it's just you know, in talking to other folks, making sure. Oh, every year I go to this one conference, which is great. But maybe yeah. there's a new conference, or maybe when they fill out that evaluation, you put down, oh, you know, I'd like to learn about you know the latest uh, in the uh, decentralized finance space. You know, maybe you add that to this conference uh, next year. Yeah. So sometimes it's. We, we get into routines or we're just so busy. Okay, how can I add one more thing? Well, maybe sometimes to add one more thing, you've got to knock something else uh, off of your off of your plate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in college, my coach used to tell us, you know, get get comfortable being uncomfortable. And at the time, I'm, I, I interpret that, that as, okay, I'm always going to be stressed out. Like this is just my new comfort is being uncomfortable. But now that I'm older how I've reframed that is not just to live in this constant state of discomfort, but to redefine what comfort means for me. So in this sense, meaning, you know, I think a lot of the reason people don't want to go outside their comfort zone is their fear of being seen as, you know, dumb, being a beginner again. But if you to redefine your comfort zone to mean I'm comfortable being a beginner, it's not something that's going to cause me anxiety. And so, and like one thing I heard over and over again, you're talking about going out and exploring is like curiosity. So it's like, I in my comfort zone. I am curious. So when I do things to learn and explore that, that's just normal for me because that's something I've defined as being comfortable to me, you know, because of X, Y, or Z reasons. So I think that's like, that's what I'm hearing is it's like, you know, because I mean, I'm sure there was one point early in your career where going out and learning those things and getting in new situations probably was not necessarily super fun or, you know, it was probably a little awkward. You probably didn't know scary. Yeah. But it's like the more you did it and it became part of your identity, you going out and doing those things, then it becomes comfortable. And so it's like, I think just that's so important. It's just switching the mindset. It's like, I'm not a social person. Like, 
yes, yes, you can be like redefine who you are, your identity, you know, because it is scary sometimes going and showing up at a place where you know absolutely no one. <laughs> and, and, and good chance, you know, that if you go into some conference, like I went to this one bit uh, blockchain finance one several years ago. And I mean, yeah, some people knew each other, but there was a lot of people there just, you know, seeing what was, was going on and uh, chatting with some folks. There were some CPAs there. Um, <laughs> yes. So, you know, Yes. Put me okay. In, in my comfort zone, but and I think just you know, watching you know, if you, if you want to be saying, well, gee, my clients might be going into this space, whether as investment or business activities and some mm-hmm. kind of new technology, or I am interested in it. So far as I'd like to maybe be serving clients in that space, or you know, occasionally even find some folks where their practice went completely to. They're just serving people involved with a cryptocurrency. There's just mm-hmm. so much going on there. Um, so you never know, maybe, you know, this, something that might even just completely change what, what you thought you were, <laughs> were, were going to be doing. But yes. uh, I think we also have versus what we had, bef- you know, before the mid nineties, so much more in social media where you can uh, pick up or, or, or join some kind of a group and see what kind of uh, links come in there. I, I always have like on, on Google, I've always got some um, track, you know, it's tracking news for me. <laughs> Not everybody knows. Oh, yes. That's another thing. Go and find out how browsers work. I always have my students have to do that as part of information literacy. Cause I said, if you think all that browser can, that search engine can do is you type in a word, there's far more you can do with all of these. That's going to be a more refined search, more information that can come about uh, to really uh, work on all that, but you know, one of them is they'll track news for you. Give them words that you you know want to be following, and a and whole host of up. things come come back. I mean, I have oh, a search on, on you know, Bitcoin, <laughs> a few others, but but again, it, that's uh, it, just exploring things, uh, talking to folks, and maybe it's sometimes when you're instead of asking you know Kali you haven't seen in a while, hey, you know, uh, what's new? Did you go on a vacation? But hey, have you tried any new uh, technology or what's mm. what's a- any interesting podcasts you've discovered yeah. um, lately or anybody you're following on social media that sounds like, wow, I just always get a lot of interesting, whether tax tax interpretations or, you know, something going on in the crypto digital asset space or with mm-hmm. the gig economy or whatever it is you might be uh, interested in. So take advantage of, you know, things you're already doing just asking more questions in your family you've got if you got multiple generations make sure you're asking all of them what it is yes. there <laughs> what, what, what kind of games are you playing online uh, who are you tracking on social media and if you don't mm-hmm. know what they're talking about ask let them show you because it just can lead to to more to more things yeah okay so then kind of to like wrap this up let's say you only had three three options for keeping relevant and current on things and we'll say like you know in the online world because that's where everyone's what would be your three go-to websites whether it's for community information any what would be your three must-haves that you'd have to have um well i guess something i'd, I'd want google or whatever uh, search engine i'm i'm using and then that i would understand you know what all can it really do for mm-hmm. me? Because I think we're not using the full capability of all of those. Yeah. Making sure I, I am learning from like, you know, a new students coming in every year mm-hmm. that I'm really learning from them. What, what, what do they do? How do they study? What kind of tools and resources might they be aware of? What are they interested in? Because I've I got this benefit of seeing, you know, <laughs> a bunch of uh, folks in their twenties uh, and thirties. That population changes for me uh, every year. Yeah, and um, I, I'd say you know, just being open to looking for new sources of information. Search on podcasts. Uh, just like, gee, I'm not sure what that is, or searching I, I love I love this one about you know what's going on at your convention center because there's so many things going on especially mm-hmm. I think now that we're maybe mm-hmm. coming back to actually having these yeah. things in, in person but just being open to finding where can I learn something that I never heard of before now how deeply you want to dive into it that's up to you but mm-hmm. occasionally you're gonna find oh 
well, that's an interesting source of technology or wow, they got a whole nother angle on how security works. I think I'm, I want to learn about this. So I'm you know, ready for this next, you know, type of software coming out there and I'll be ready with this, uh, with this practice or make sure I'm asking the right questions of my providers and, uh, of my clients perhaps. So yeah, I think, mm-hmm. you know, good, good search engine that you really making the most of making good use of populations around you, just asking questions of folks, uh, whether family members or, you know, if you're hiring folks, make sure you really get to know these, these people. What, what is it? Cause we probably don't ask, well, what kind of social media are you tracking? Now they might not want to tell you everything, but they might tell you something <laughs> of interest. And then just, you know, making the time to just see what is going on, even in your local area um, mm-hmm. that you might want to get involved, whether it's, you know, a, a meetup, um, something going on at the convention center. A conference. Yeah, I'm going to start doing that. Absolutely. Because I live like 10 minutes away from our convention center in Portland. And I never thought to, I just like, oh, there's no accounting events in Portland. And that was like, I'm like, I would, there's nothing else I would ever be interested in. Like I was very finite thinking. <laughs> there could be some interesting tech shows. They probably have a car yes. show every once in a while. We could yeah. go see the new model cars. <laughs> yes. No, they definitely do. And so... All right. Okay. So to wrap this up, we're going to play a really quick game called this or that. So I'm going to give you two options. You got to tell me this or that. Okay. This one is like a hot topic where people are arguing on text Twitter all the time. Move the filing date or keep it the same? I would say get rid of the filing date. I like and that I, I have written about that <laughs> we with technology. and But that's, you know, reframing that question that the tax law 1913, you were filling out pieces of paper that most people aren't. You know, 1913, yeah. only a few uh, high-income folks were, were subject to the income tax. But today, I mean, like if you order something online, like from Amazon, they're not having you fill out a form and then you send it off this PDF to them. You're just clicking on stuff. Yet, mm-hmm. even though you might be e-filing and, you, and, of course, most people are using software, you are still filling out a form. Why mm-hmm. can't we take all this digital data we have, like my paycheck, it's automatically deposited into my bank account. So there's a digital yeah. file there. But at the end of the year, I'm going to get a, a W-2, which I will then type into the software. That's crazy. <laughs> um, all this digital data, in fact, even you know, if you have a Schedule C, if you set it up well enough, and you know, obviously, Avalara knows how to do all this. Uh, the, yeah. the software yeah. has all this data. Yeah. It should just, I think individuals, get all your data as possible digitized. If you set up your you know, whatever software you're using to track like your Schedule C business, if you set it up right, it could feed into this. Yeah. It would feed into what I call your tax cloud. Then you identify what software tool you want to grab that. And it can be done on a daily basis of, gee, have I, have I paid enough income tax yet? Yeah. So I think we need to move away uh, from, you know, the long-standing stuff that's really kind of outdated. Yes, we do need dates of our statute limitations and actually closing, uh, closing years. Years, but yeah. I think a lot of this we need to make better use of technology, which already exists. Uh, the IRS obviously has uh, not been yeah. well funded to be able to move into having the same kind of technology that Amazon and you know very effective companies <laughs> operate with. If they did, it, it would look a lot differently. Yeah. Gen Z, I do not believe, goes out to the mailbox to get their W-2 out of the mailbox, um, and they don't need to. But I yeah. think maybe Gen Z will be the ones to push who invented this filing system? It's crazy. <laughs> it's yeah. Well, and I feel too like not that I know a lot about the blockchain, but I feel like the blockchain could solve this. Like <laughs> yeah, that, that 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 type of technology for source tracking. It, it, oh, it's a lot of things it could do. I mean, I, I, working at a, at a university. Oh, if you're applying, get all these transcripts off. No, that should just be kept on some you know yeah. ledger. You give someone a code, they mm-hmm. go and they can easily uh, verify that, or it just feeds into uh, whatever you need. But I think tax filing. We need to really move towards it is more of a kind of a just in time yeah, I type feel like system. I, I'm hoping in the next ten to fifteen years as Congress turns over and hopefully we get some younger legislatures, you know, in their passing laws, hopefully they will see the need for that and we'll do so accordingly. But Yeah, and I, I think mean, Gen Z will will push that as well. Um mm-hmm. I think a lot of a lot of types of of changes. Um I think if we just think about What's showing up in your physical mailbox and why? Because mm-hmm. far less is showing up. I mean, I think most people with credit cards exactly. probably aren't waiting for, yeah. I mean, they're all telling you, the bank, the credit card company, they don't want to send you this yes, paper anymore. But paper. we're still, but I think Gen Z, they're wondering why, why, what do you mean I had to go get a piece of paper out of the mailbox and 
<laughs> and my then tax t- return. That you print it off a computer and then I have to hand type it back into a computer. Right. Well, you know, I find that I think most of the college students, they don't even own a printer, even though they don't cost very I much. Don't have they have one. no need. They have no yeah. need for one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have one. I'm like, no. People are like, why don't you get one? I'm like, scan your own stuff. I'm not scanning it for you. <laughs> like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so awesome. Well, Annette, thank you so much for joining me today. And this was a really great conversation, you know, and it's, it's, I, you know, I want to say I'm cliche, but more applicable than ever. It really is with the speed of, you know, the speed of technical and technological information. So where is the best place for people to connect with you if they want to learn more or, you know, collaborate? How should they find you? Okay. Well, Lauren, it's great, great chatting with you. And I think it's a, one of my favorite topics of, you know, staying current, staying relevant. What does that mean today? Um, you can just Google me. Yes, <laughs> you can Google. quickly find me. Um, I've got a, at the university, I've got a very extensive webpage. And I actually, I, I keep a lot of things online. It's all the things you just never know when you go out exploring. Since 2011, for example, I have web pages where I actually have a list of all of the treasury regulations issued for the year with a link, a brief explanation. Oh, my word. As well as um, things that were you know, revenue rulings, revenue rulings, procedures, and notices. Uh, some other web pages as well. You can also find me on uh, LinkedIn and, and Twitter where I do try to mostly posting tax things, mostly related things to tax policy. Mm-hmm. Causing, I think one role I can play is raising some of the policy type type questions that I know practitioners don't always have time to really delve into because you know, you've got to get the numbers on on the returns and planning mm-hmm. information out to your out to your clients but you can certainly find me on on the social media and Google, uh, web search awesome and then everyone knows where to find me I'm, I'll be on Twitter at Lauralyn Wilson you can DM me DMs are open you can tweet at me I'm just on there being a general menace. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And we'll see you guys next time. Great. Thank you.